I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Welcome to Vet Sessions. I'm your host today, Dr. Omar Khan. My guest today is Dr. Andrea Joy. Dr. Joy graduated from the Ontario Veterinary College in 1988 and worked with companion animals until 2014, where she returned to OVC as Manager of Clinical Skills Learning. She's been here ever since teaching and training Phase 2 and 3 student veterinarians in companion animal surgical exercises. Dr. Joy also obtained her Master's in Education from Brock University in 2018, focusing on self-regulated learning and psychomotor skill development in veterinary students. Welcome, Dr. Joy. Thank you so much, Omar. So, Dr. Joy, tell me, what was your career path in life? How did you become a veterinarian? Why did you become a veterinarian? And how did you end up at the Ontario Veterinary College? Oh, that started a very long time ago. Um, I had was very passionate about horses and riding. And so that was my motivation to get into veterinary school. So I studied very, very hard. Um, and I, when I got into OVC, I, there was a lot of competition for equine medicine. Mm -hmm. So uh, I geared myself more to mixed practice. So I developed a lot of uh, uh, interest in cattle and dairy cattle, so I studied that, and I did some companion animal as well, so cats and dogs as well. So I was, when I graduated, I actually did mixed practice for three years, um, as well as uh, some work at the African Lion Safari, which was very interesting, but also hugely intimidating. Um, from there, I um, after three years, I went into strictly small animal practice and was practicing in the Waterloo region um, for a total of 36, uh, 26 years. I got kind of, I just wanted something different at that point and uh, sure didn't want to give up my veterinary career, but mm -hmm. wanted to um, enhance it in some way. And I'd always been very, very interested in education. Uh and so I pursued a career or, or a degree in um, a master's in education at Brock University. And then after about two years of that, I, uh, this job posting came up at OVC as manager of clinical skills learning. And the description really fit where I was felt that I was headed um, with this degree. Certainly one of my motivating factors is that I hated to go to continuing education um, programs for veterinarians were just day after day after day of lectures and I was just yeah. like oh man there has got to be a better way of mm -hmm. learning to doing continuing education for veterinarians um, so I had been pointed by Dr. Peter Conlin from OVC yeah. as to really uh, investigate experiential learning and so I was very grateful for that advice because that's what I based my uh thesis on and with the job here as a manager of clinical skills learning I uh, that was basically what this job is all about is uh, structuring students learning around experiential learning mm -hmm. yeah that's uh, definitely an interesting career path uh, <laughs> you mentioned the African Lion Safari and Dr. Daisy 
uh, a colleague here at the Smithland Animal Hospital. Uh, she worked there uh, for a short time, uh, and her, one of her famous stories telling students is uh, castrating a lion when she was, uh, yeah, on her externship. So interesting. And then you mentioned Dr. Conlon, who was in, you know, institutional in, in getting the PhD started. Uh, he's influenced so many of us, you know, Peter has definitely, so... It's nice to hear that that mm-hmm. he had a, you know, a big role in your career path as well. He absolutely did. It was uh, it was very very good advice. Yeah, good. Um, so tell us a bit more then about your uh, your master's in education. Um, um, so the 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 thesis that I did, chose was on self regulated learning. So which sounds like a big jumble of words, but it's basically there's so much out there to learn, and it's how we choose what we would like to learn and I find that with students they sit in didactic lectures or or a lecture is didactic learning where you're sitting and you're being information is being transferred to you you're listening you're writing it down you're thinking about it you are regurgitating it onto an exam Um, and so basically what self-regulated learning is is how to um pick out what is most important to you or where you feel you have your greatest weaknesses and then uh, build on that. So you can apply it to any of your uh, lecture courses that you Mm -hmm. go to. You probably sit down very easily and say, oh, you know, I I didn't quite understand what they were talking about there or I don't get this concept. I'll look it up in my notes or or a textbook or literature online. But when you transfer that type of learning to experiential learning um sometimes people have gaps and and Mm -hmm. they don't it's not easy to transfer because the context is so different so i when i when we're working with students within our labs where we're doing simulations for uh, surgery or asepsis or anesthesia it's not only teaching them what they are supposed to be doing but guiding them to self-regulated learning so that they can start to pinpoint what they are what they really need to pick up on and and to do instead of it just being this huge overwhelming i don't know anything or this is all very overwhelming to you know what i did really well on these four things but i really have to pinpoint this one Mm -hmm. and it's it's guiding them along those pathways to be thinking about their thinking yeah yeah, and that's that's great. I mean, I I, I certainly understand when when you say you know having a a, a bunch of, of lecture material thrown at you. That's how we were taught, mm-hmm. um, you know, way back in the day. Um, and there's still a fair bit of didactic learning through the foundation courses, but I'm glad to hear that it's it's you know it's evolving. Uh, in our previous podcast, we focus on the history of what we see and other various topics, you know, including epilepsy, nutrition, behavior, and you know, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and medicine. Today, we want to get a bit more information, I guess, on how our students have trained um, and how that's evolved since you or I went to this, you know, institution. Um, so, can you? give us a bit more information then about how you know how that learning process has evolved what happens in phase two and and as they move through the curriculum you know into phase three Mm -hmm. certainly so first let me start with defining what a clinical skill is uh so it is a psychomotor skill a procedure knowing so the knowledge of 
why you were doing the test and how to interpret the results. So it is all those four things bound up together. And they learn a lot about why they are doing the test and how to interpret results from, from their lectures where we work more on the procedure and the psychomotor skills mm -hmm. and get them to start to put all those things together. Um, we start in second year with that and then we build it into third year as well as we as the models and the simulations become a lot more complex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So can you describe then uh, me being a, sec a phase two student mm -hmm. coming into your lab? What's the, the first thing I'm going to learn or experience from your, your session? Well, um, the what we are we start out our asepsis labs in the fall of phase two, and we basically the students learn by watching videos that have been um, produced by one of our faculty members, Dr. Brigitte Brisson, mm -hmm. um, who has a, uh, her website um, will does has a number of instructions and uh, videos on how to do different procedures and clinical uh, skills yeah. for asepsis. And these have, you asked before about how does this differ from when we went to school? Yeah. And back in the day, we used to all stand around as a group and we used to watch an instructor do it once and then we had to go and imitate it. Yeah. And so this is with the advent of videos and the internet and things being so much more accessible, then they can watch these videos over and over again. They can um, refer to them after a lab as well um, and to double check what they've done right or wrong or if they were given feedback, they can go back and check as well. So the videos have really improved our learning by that first step of observation. Mm -hmm. So once they have um, observed and they come into these labs and they imitate what they have seen on the video. So we run them through a sepsis um, scenarios or simulations. So they learn how to do um, an aseptic uh, hand scrub for a surgeon. They learn how to properly dry their hands, gown, put on sterile gloves and stay um, aseptic or, or prevent contamination of themselves and their gowns and their gloves throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so, and then that we just build that by how they, through each lab um, is like little stepping stones to get to actually doing it um, the full, the full pro, uh, procedure. Yeah. I mean, and that's so important. You know, we oftentimes overlook or when we look on TV, you know, we see the surgeons with their bare hands or oh, yeah. throw some gloves on. <laughs> and, and in reality, it's not like that. Um, and I think most of us who listen to the podcast know that, but it, it's funny to see sometimes on television what happens, but it, it underscores, you know, how important that, that pre-surgical routine is, you know, um, in terms of being aseptic and not promoting infection or putting that patient, you know, any sort of compromising position, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, and and the videos, I mean, I agree, you know, yeah, there were obviously video technology back when we were students, but we, we didn't have that capacity or the school, you know, schools never thought of that, I guess. Um, so it's amazing. Now, when I look at my own kids, you know, they're online looking at different, you know, modules, um, whether it's, you know, by their lecturers here or whether it's, you know, just someone else on the Internet um, putting up modules on math or physics or chemistry. So it's certainly evolved. And I think it, it makes learning fun. Yeah. Oh, you know? absolutely. I think uh, 
even if you think back, if you've ever had to change out the tap in your or, or your faucet in your kitchen, you know, what do you do? You look it up on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> you, you find four or five different yeah. people's, you know, experiences are showing you how to do it. Yeah. Um, and so we are observational learners. That yeah. is for sure. And yeah. that, I mean, some people can learn from just reading and, and doing it, but the mass majority is, is from watching it. And then again, joining that with the ability to actually experience that yourself. Mm-hmm. There's so many educational philosophies uh, based on experiential learning. So it's definitely very, yeah. very important to our understanding. Yeah. And I mean, we, we use that same technique here in the clinic, you know, in terms of our phase four students as well. So they certainly get exposed to it, you know, uh, earlier on in the career. And we build on that continually as they as they move along. Um, so in, in terms of, of any other sort of models, techniques, mm-hmm. um, you know, teaching aids, what, what happens? Cause obviously when, again, we went to school, it was quite different. Um, and I think, you know, it'd be interesting for our listeners to, to see or understand that sort of progression and, and some of them may, may relate to it cause they've, you know, been through that procedure or some of them may already know yet. I was grad graduate last year, so I know exactly what we're speaking about, um, yeah, I think I think one of the most the most dramatic changes that um, that we are working work like in constantly working towards is replacing a lot of um, procedures and such using models. Uh, and so we have one of the models that was developed here actually way back in the late eighties. Uh, was a model called the DAISY, yeah. and it t- stands for Dog Abdominals um, Surrogate for instruction, um, for Student Instructions. And um, that was that is still being produced and, uh, and used daily here at the Ontario Vet College. And that is, um, it is a foam model that represent, has different layers representing the abdominal wall and students learn how to suture all the different layers of the abdominal wall using that model. Mm-hmm. Um, we also uh, make a silicone model um, that has different features, but again, they can practice doing uh, closures with that. We have a lot of models have been made here. We make our own IV catheter models. So again, mm-hmm. not stepping away from surgery for a minute and more into anesthesia and medicine. Um, we've had 3D printed legs of mm-hmm. dogs and cats made. And uh, and these were CT scans of live animals. So that information was directed towards a 3D printer. And these 3D models were made and we run uh, tubing down them and with artificial blood and the students mm-hmm. can learn how to catheterize, take a blood sample um, and do all that type of thing. So when we, when again, back in the old days when we were in school and this comes out of uh, t- uh, 17th century medicine, human medicine, but the term was always watch one, do one, teach one. And we still follow that but so they can watch one now over and over again on a video. Uh, they can do one over and over again on a model without mm-hmm. harming any animal um, and and become quite proficient and, yeah. and capable of doing these different surgery surgeries or um, or anesthesia um, things. Uh, yeah. 
skills. Yeah. No, and I, I completely understand. I mean, when I was a student, we had a, a PVC pipe that yeah. was wrapped with vet wrap and there was an IV tube in there and you had to sort of feel that as the vein and, and practice that. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite interesting to hear that now they actually do a, you know, a CT of a dog or cat limb and then do a three-dimensional print of that. Um, interesting. I've never seen those, but it'd be nice to come over and, and have a mm-hmm. look at those, you know, just to see the progression. Anytime. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is cool. Yep. So there, so that is, um, and the, the final part of that is, um, watch one, do one, teach one is that. Now our students work can come in in the evenings and use our new brand new clinical skills lab, which opened in September of 2020. Mm. We have a number of stations set up around the perimeter of the room, and they can come and with their peers and uh, classmates or students from um, a year above um, and work on these different models yeah. and, and learn and yeah, just keep practicing. Just keep their practicing. Skills. Yeah. yeah. And, and ultimately, that's what it comes down to. You know, it's, it's a different form of studying, I guess. You're it not in is. front of a book or in front of a screen right. reading or, or making yeah. notes. You're physically doing something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. with that practice, the other thing I try and encourage is it's not just, they keep coming up with this term muscle memory and it really <sighs> makes me, upsets me. Um, well, I, I use that too. So <laughs> enlighten me, enlighten me. Okay. So... A lot of students think that if they just repeat the same motion over and over and over again, that they will get it. And what I try and encourage them to do is that think of themselves more as an automated car. So mm-hmm. an automated car, it has thousands of sensors on it that is taking in, uh, you know, the, the all the things around it, who, you know, stuff coming out in the middle of the road, stop signs, traffic lights, other cars mm-hmm. on the road, people on the road, the speed, everything. Yeah. It's sensing all those things. And I try and encourage my students th- to say that it's not just your hands doing things over and over again. It is your sensing what you are doing and uh, making your hands adjust to that mm-hmm. so that when you are tying a suture, it's not just going faster and faster and faster because ultimately what happens is, is you start throwing slip knots. Yeah. And so it, the idea is, is that you are looking for that perfectly formed knot to fall down flat rather than how to adjust your hands to that. So mm-hmm. I try and encourage them to think more like a, an automated car. Right. And so that they are, they are taking in the feel of the, of the suture line in their instruments um, or their hands uh, as it goes through tissue, uh, be it a, like like going through a model mm-hmm. um, and watching it to make sure that it falls down properly. And it's not just their hands doing it. It's yeah. it's them sensing that it's going, it's being pro- it properly done. Yeah. Okay. And so it's, it's that, and that brings us to more like a deliberate practice where they are watching that, there is a way of just imit- that is the step between imitating it and and self-regulated learning in that they are watching for the difference between what their performance is and what expert performance is mm-hmm. and then trying to bring their capability up to that to of that an expert level. right so okay interesting yeah because i use that too muscle memory when i'm yeah you know in surgery with, you'll have with, to try automation i, now, I okay? will i will you, I, I i hope the difference is obvious but it it is yeah. and 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 inherently so it's just not something that i 
you know, thought about in that yeah, that fashion. Yeah. But yeah, obviously you're not closing your eyes and doing a hand motion. No. You're looking at everything. You're looking yeah. at that that patient, looking at the tissue. Yeah. You're looking at the bite you take through the muscle or, or the fascia. And how it feels in your hand exactly. and, your inst- and through yeah. your instruments. And you know what? I think when we do things long enough, we just disregard it. We don't realize yeah. just how much our brains are trained to make those differences. Yeah. Yeah. And when students are doing it, they think, well... My, it's just my hands that have to do, and it's like, mm-mm. Right, you've got to train your brain to do it. Just like when you're studying, you just can't regurgitate information out. You've got to critically think yeah. about what you're doing and and how you join all that information together. Yeah, yeah tie everything back. Yeah, no, yeah. E- exactly. And, so and that's what I try and encourage in the yeah, labs, well, is well, to think I'll, about it. I'll yeah. take a page out of your book. Next time <laughs> I, I say muscle memory, I, I won't. I'll say automated car, yeah. and I'll, I'll, I'll reference thank you um so that that, i mean that is is very very fascinating you know to see that or understand that progression from you know even a decade ago Mm -hmm. right uh to now um so in addition to to you know surgical your prep and so forth what else are our students learning you know that, Hmm. that we might not have experienced or or gotten the opportunity in school well one of the Big things that um, we're looking forward to, hopefully over the next 12 months, is that um, Dr. Alex Zerlinden, one of our uh, diagnostic imaging faculty, has uh, secured some ultrasounds Mm -hmm. machines that will be uh, kept in our clinical skills lab. Under lock and key, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and his he's worked with some grad uh, a few grad students now um, here at OVC that have developed models made out of silicone and ballistics gel mm. that um, students can learn how to do ultrasound and yeah. identify shapes um, that are hidden within uh, opaque ballistics gel right. oh, okay. so it's very exciting um, yeah. opportunity for students to learn ultrasound on a more uh, experiential level where yeah. they can come in and keep practicing and working and refining their skills and and how to hold a probe and just uh, like ultrasound is a very sophisticated skill it to is. understand and to yeah. do and so uh, this is a fabulous opportunity for them I'm really excited about having that yeah I mean the, so am I in what? the lab yeah yeah. When I was a student, I think we got one lecture on ultrasounds mm-hmm. and we got a couple of slides and the take-home message for that, if I remember correctly, was snotty little kids to live a kidney and to live echogenicity, right? Right, um, yeah. That, that's how Dr. Dobson, you know, related to us. Just remember, just remember snotty little kid. Um, <laughs> and your spleen live a kidney and to live echogenicity, uh, you know, decreasing echogenicity. Um, but but I agree, it's definitely complex. Um, you know the micro movements, the, the probe selection, tissue depth, and you know yeah. the amount of fat in the body cavity. Yeah. Um, so that that's amazing to hear that students are getting exposed to that. Mm-hmm. You know, in in phase two yes. and, and possibly phase three, maybe. Yes. Um, but I mean, I think that's going to serve them quite well. It's going to serve us when they come into clinics as well too. Absolutely. Um, and future employees, I guess, future employers, right? Yes, yeah. yes. The other thing that we have really started to promote um, in our curriculum here is uh, veterinary dentistry. And so we have some fabulous models that were made in um, at the in veterinary simulator industries out of yeah. Calgary. Uh, very sophisticated models. Uh, these are, uh, they're shaped like dog heads and they have teeth that um, like, 
dentures you can take it put in and out and right. replace yeah. and so the students can learn how to do uh dental cleanings which is usually done by a technician but a, mm. a veterinarian should know exactly yeah. how it's done and exactly. be able to make sure that it's being their technicians are doing it correctly yeah. um but these models you can also extract the teeth so mm. you can do um all sorts of uh, extract extract every tooth in the mouth the yeah. way you would in a live animal. Yeah. So and they're they're wonderful. So they have the opportunity to use a dental burr and and section yes. a tooth yeah. elevators. Yeah, and we oh, we do have five uh, dental machines here as well. So we do have uh, machines that we can yeah. you know burr away the bone over the tooth root to assist in extractions. Yeah. Uh, they, you can do gingival flaps with these right. and suture them up after the extraction. Oh. Very, very sophisticated models. And uh, our students are learning that in our second year yeah. as well. Uh, that's a huge departure from what you are. Oh, I yes, yes, yes. You know, um, we had, again, a week lecture of dentistry and it was all lectures, didactic learning, no hands-on at all, right? Everything mm -hmm. that, that we would have learned was after graduation. Yes. So. And so the, the other thing, there's been a little more focus on dentistry, even in anatomy. So mm -hmm. naming the teeth and yeah. nomenclature and understanding how deciduous teeth are replaced by adult teeth. So yeah. we're really excited about that. Yeah. And that that program is in... in uh, motion in that we are always trying to improve it yeah. as well so yeah. good yeah so i know and really I, I think i see some of the changes you know since i've been here over the past four years you know um some of the students even today um the student in my group was able to orient and position the x-rays quite nicely oh good um yeah so I, I noticed that as they come through you know phc definitely and it's it's a pleasure to see and you know they have a greater understanding appreciation of dental anatomy you know orienting x-rays interpreting them to to a degree but mm -hmm. but um i mean that's what we're here for you know we try to reinforce that as experiential learning right so yeah. we reinforce that you know hopefully clarify any you know um you know ambiguities they might have had and yeah we just build on that so, yeah yeah amazing. excellent excellent That's yeah great. i'm glad i'm glad you're seeing a difference <laughs> that yes, makes yes, me happy <laughs> i have good. um i have been over the over the, over the past four years definitely good, good um so tell me um you mentioned you know uh, models and simulators mm -hmm. do you see that becoming you know more commonplace in, in veterinary schools will it replace um or should it replace i guess mm. you know you know, doing doing procedures on on live animals. I think to support our students' uh, confidence and their competency, models play a huge role mm -hmm. because of the ability to repeat procedures. To, and it's under such a it's under a very low stress scenario as yeah. well. So it's it's not yeah. somebody's dog or their you know their you know or their friend's pet or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That you know they uh, because it's done under such low stress environment, they the learning is better because yeah. there's nothing harder than to try and learn something when that that is hanging over yeah, your head that you you may cause an animal pain or or and you don't want to and you yeah, shouldn't so no. you know that's just mm -hmm. a huge burden off their minds to to be able to repeat these things yeah i've seen a huge improvement in their catheterizing um live mm. animals i th with um by using these models yeah. first and promoting ivy that as well so yeah i think i think they're 
I think their skill level has imp- improves dramatically yeah. using these models and having that ability to re- um, to practice things and repeat them over and over. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, without you know affecting live well, animals exactly, to any exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. And, and then I guess my, my last question to you, um, you know, as veterinary medicine advances and. and we usually, you know, a couple of steps behind human medicine, but but they made great strides in, in many different techniques and procedures. Um, do you think our students would be at some point, maybe in the near future or far future, exposed to laparoscopic surgery or something else of that nature? I I hope so. Um, laparop laparoscopy surgery. Um, <laughs> it's a mouthful. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, laparoscopic surgery is definitely becoming uh, more mainstream in veterinary medicine Mm -hmm. and um if we can get models in that would support that learning and the machines themselves because they are very expensive um so we would have to keep a few of those on hand and then uh if they can build it into the curriculum i'm sure they will yeah yeah interesting well Hopefully I can reap some of that benefit. That's too. It's, right. It's always intrigued me. Um, I've never had the opportunity to go learn it, but mm-hmm. it is, I would imagine, a steep learning curve. Yeah. 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 But they, there's um, num- a huge number of studies of uh, in education literature regarding laparoscopic training in human medicine. Yeah. So um, they're, they're, like human medicine education definitely paves the way for yes. veterinary medical education yeah, as well. Sure. Although we do a fair amount on our own. Yeah, yeah, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a, there's actually from, I believe, the early 60s, there's been a journal of veterinary medical education. Yeah. And, uh, and it's uh, even our faculty members contribute to it as well. So mm-hmm. it's alive and well and very well supported. Yeah. So great. Mm-hmm. Well, before we go, uh, mm-hmm. give us a fun fact about Dr. Joy. <gasps> a fun fact yeah. about Dr. Joy. Oof. Well, one of my achievements, <laughs> I guess it's an achievement, I don't know. Um, I've just moved into a newly renovated house, and I've been living in a 200-square-foot trailer for the last 15 months. Wow. And <laughs> which It has made me appreciate how fragile uh not living in a house is and that that people that are homeless or um that have homes that are are you know not in the greatest of shape Mm -hmm. it's a real real challenge yeah yeah and just how how you know you don't think about having to heat your house all the time. I mean, there's just natural gas or electricity coming yeah. to it. But when you have to go out and keep buying propane all the time to heat, right. you know, you've got it. And you head out at four in the morning in the middle of a snowstorm because your propane tanks right. ran out. Oh, my it's goodness. just like, yeah. it's like, yeah. So I don't know. That was a bit of a challenge. But right. I, I I think it's made me uh, appreciate just how hard it is to live yeah. um, sort of with a three quarter inch wall between you and minus 40. Right. So, wow. yeah. So, I I appreciate that learning curve. Yeah. I learned a lot. Yeah, a lot. You, yeah. I watched a lot of YouTube videos on living in an RV. Right. Really, <laughs> so yeah. I, oh I I'm an observational learner and yeah. experiential learner. Yeah. Well, so. you practice what you preach. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I try. Yeah. I truly do. And well, on that note, I do try 
learning different things that are psychomotor skills. I go and help my friends in a com- their commercial kitchen. And I think, what is it like for a, somebody who's not really well experienced at something mm-hmm. to, to try and do it all the time or to, to learn it? Yeah. And, you know, I've baked and stuff and cooked all my life, but to go in and work in a commercial kitchen where everything has oh. to be really uniform and there's different equipment and it's bigger or different and it's really, really hard. And I think, mm-hmm. oh, this is what it's like for my students. They've watched this stuff. They've worked in vet clinics or or have watched videos or have, you know, but when they actually go to do it, it's really a struggle. And yeah. I think this is what they are feeling like. So yeah. I try and keep that close sort to of heart. close yeah. to my heart to yeah. think of what it's like for them to learn and to to always try and stay patient with them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and I agree with you. You know, sometimes we, we, we look at a student, not necessarily struggle, but maybe try to comprehend what we were doing or explain. And, and we, we forget that we were once there, mm-hmm. you know. And, and sometimes we forget that emotion, that feeling, that, that stress level, you know, with, with the lecturer looking over your shoulder. And, you know, it's, it, it's humbling to, to, to think that, oh, yeah, we were there once and we need to step back a bit and give them that time, that opportunity to grow and, and you know, you know, mm-hmm. um, understand yeah. yeah yeah it's making space for them to to learn yeah yeah to give and everybody needs a different amount of space and and time yeah so yeah. it's accepting that from all of them yeah 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 for sure i it's that is a practice in itself so yeah well dr joy thank you so much for spending some time with us today and thank for you. your insights and you know thoughts and discussions on on how our student veterinarians learn today um it was very interesting and i do want to come by and, and have a look at that um building look yes. at facilities i know it's brand new opened up in september and maybe we can have you back on the show again at some point uh to you know see how things are coming along perfect i thank you very much yeah. i come up anytime thank Great. you thank you so much dr joy Thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics, please email us at vetsessions at hotmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at vetsessions. Take care, everyone.